money is the root of all evil, then tax, and who should pay it, and how much they should pay, is one of the fruits of that tree. Taxation is easily one of the most contentious issues of our time. Our news feeds are full of stories about tax rises, government spending, borrowing powers and deficits. Tax avoidance and the point at which you should pay tax and when the percentage goes up are all matters of contention. It turns out that tax was a pretty divisive topic in Jesus' time too. Our story today sees two groups who were normally political enemies come together to trap Jesus on a question of taxation. But they get much more than they could ever have bargained for. Hi, my name is Stuart. It's my pleasure to welcome you to a worship from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm glad that you could join us from wherever you are. Today Anne reads for us from Matthew's Gospel. Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. When some very unlikely allies turn up at the temple, you can almost hear Jesus roll his eyes and shake his head. What now? Herodians and Pharisees together? This can't be good. His suspicions are confirmed when they start off with one of those compliments that can only be the opening gambit of yet another trap. Teacher, we know that you're sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. So what do they want? The Pharisees have realised that Jesus is smart, like really smart. He knows the religious law inside out and what's more, he's a brilliant debater. He's been able to sidestep all of their questions and, and turn them back on them. He's made them look foolish and incompetent. They can't trap Jesus on the religious law, so they have a new plan. Let's try some civil law versus religious law. Let's ask him a question where he has to choose sides. He sees them coming from a mile off. He sees them in all of their malice and deception. Go on then, you hypocrites. Ask your question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? That question isn't just a matter of civil law. The trap is that it also raises questions of religious law and, and it's a big question. Before we go much further, we need to talk about money. Believe it or not, there was a time before money. People didn't need it. They grew stuff and swapped things that they had for other things. People helped each other because they knew that their neighbour would come and help them when the time came. But when you have something like an army, well, when they're far from home, they can't do that. They need something in return for their works. So several things were used throughout history. There was a time when, to be worth your salt, 
was to be worth your day's pay. Roman soldiers were partly paid in salt. Eventually coins come along. Initially coins are just a particular weight of metal. The Jewish coins we hear about in the Bible are called shekels, which actually just means a weight of. So someone somewhere decides that swapping precious metal for food and clothes and services is a good idea and money is invented. How do you know that you've got the right weight? You can't be carrying around a set of scales to weigh your coins all the time. Well, one of the things you can do is stamp some kind of mark on it to guarantee it. So Roman coins had a picture of the emperor on them. And pretty soon they realised that you can put whatever you want on a coin. Our coins still declare in Latin that Elizabeth II is queen. These Roman coins were controversial. Firstly, they were a sign of occupation. Imposing your currency on the locals is one of the tools of empire. Make everyone use your money because then you can control the supply of it and the value of that money. When there's a local currency, then you need to set up an exchange system so that people can get Roman money, which they have to because they have to use that to pay tax. So there's profit to be made in the exchange as well as in the tax. But that wasn't the only controversy with tax. The picture and the statement on the coin were so inflammatory that the religious laws had forbidden the Jews to bring Roman coins into the temple. The coins had a picture of Tiberius, the emperor, and around the coin it said, Tiberius, son of Augustus, the god. The Roman coins literally declared that Tiberius was the son of God. They were considered blasphemous. So blasphemous that nobody was supposed to have one in the house of God. So, should we pay taxes to Caesar is a hugely loaded question. If Jesus says no, he's breaking the religious law. If he says yes, he's breaking the religious law. If Jesus says no, he's broken the Roman law. If he says yes, he's breaking the religious law. And Jesus does something brilliant. He asks to see a coin. Oh yeah, sure, I've got one here. In the temple. Oh, you do, do you? Whose picture is on it? The emperor's. Give it back to him then. And give to God the things which are God's. It's no wonder that they're speechless. Amazed. Amazed that Jesus had escaped their trap. Amazed that Jesus had turned the tables on them once again. Or was there amazement about something else. Way back at the start of Jesus' ministry, he spent some time in the wilderness, 40 days we read. And at the end of that time, we hear that when he was tired and hungry, he was tempted with three things. To turn a stone into bread, to jump off the pinnacle of the temple because the angels would catch him, and to rule over the kingdoms of the world. All of them. But that last one had a catch, a small catch. Jesus would have to worship Satan. And here we are again, that final temptation presented in a slightly different format. Empire. This whole conversation is so short and yet it opens up one of the most important issues for people of Jesus' time and for ours. The relationship between the things of God and the things of the world. Or perhaps we should put it another way, the tension between God and empire. Remember, the first question Jesus was asked by the religious leaders in the temple was about his authority. Where does it come from? Is it from God? The Romans were really good at empire. The British and all the other colonial powers learned a lot from them. It's the carrot and stick method. 
look at all these improvements. The Romans were amazing at technology, especially big civil engineering projects, roads and bridges and water systems and the technologies and tactics of war. So join us and you get all of this. Don't and we kill you all. It's your choice. And then they did what all empires do. They asset stripped the places they ruled. Precious metals and minerals and slaves were transported back to the centre of their power. When you are ruling over people who don't like you, there are several ways to remind people who's in charge. Slogans and songs are good, that's what national anthems are. And greetings like Hail Caesar, a reminder who's in charge. Physical reminders are good too. The more you can see a logo or an image, the deeper that that thought that you're part of something bigger is ingrained. Flags and uniforms and coins are favourites. Coins have the emperor's head on them. Every time you pay for something, you're reminded just who's in charge. And the inscription reminded you that Caesar was lord. Loyalty to Rome was demanded. Punishments were severe and public to remind everyone to stay in their place. This ambush in the temple isn't really a question about economics or even politics. This is a question about what's ultimately most important. And for Jesus, if the answer to that question is anything other than God, then that's just not good enough. It's a question we're all presented with over and over again. What is most important? What are the things, the ideas that dictate how we live? And how aware of that are we? How many of us stop to think where an idea we're presented with comes from? Who benefits and who loses? It's a subtle process that we all fall for in different ways. Especially when you are on the powerful end of empire, receiving all the benefits and, and few of the problems. The coin the Herodians and the Pharisees present to Jesus is the ultimate attempt to undermine God. And the people gathered there trying to trap Jesus don't even realise they're the ones who are trapped by a system that demands their compliance, not for their own good, or for the good of their community, but for the wealth and power of a system that says its leader is a God. Jesus cuts through all of that with a statement that should cause all of us to stop short, to take a breath, to question everything that we believe about the world and its claim on us. Give back to Caesar what belongs to him. If this coin, this symbol of greed and oppression and violence and economic slavery with its blasphemous claim stamped all over it belongs to Caesar, then give all of that back to him. Let him keep all of it. But give back to God all that comes from God. For there are things that money can't buy, an empire can't control. Hope and mercy, justice and forgiveness, righteousness and love, and these are the things of God. Creator God, sustainer of all that we perceive, we join together in prayer, seeking wisdom and guidance, that we might show your amazing love to all whom we meet. In our communities, your word may be less obvious, but it's no less present. We present ourselves as your faithful children, ready to continue to spread your message of love and care. We praise for the strength to do your work in our communities, to bring the truly radical message of your holy word to all whom we meet. Our world continues to be ravaged by disease, war, famine and many other natural and human-made disasters. This year, like so many others, has been difficult for people all over the planet. 
We pray for help to see the promise of your light. No matter the problems we face individually or as a people, that we will know your love. We pray for help to see the promise of your light. That no matter the problems we face individually or as a people, that we will know your love. As our countries and societies strive to recover from the difficulties this year has brought, we pray that we, along with our leaders, will have the wisdom to pay particular attention to those who were already in the most need. We pray for those on the margins of our society, those who are demonised for their economic wealth, their skin colour, their sexuality or their ability. Grant us the boldness to tear down the walls built to divide us and bring your righteous justice to all. We, the Church, ask for your continued protection. We pray that we will not be confined by the buildings that serve us, but that we will use the resources you have given us to do what is necessary to be truly radical as we seek to discern your calling, to spread the message of your holy word, to a world that is so in need of your love. Hear us, Lord, as we join in your words, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. And deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken. Form thee for his own abode on the rock of ages founded what can shake thy sure repose with salvation's walls surrounded thou mayest smile at all thy streams of living waters springing from eternal love well supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want remove who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage Grace which like the Lord, the giver, never fails from age to age. Round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear for a glory and a Light by night.
by day Save they feed upon the manna Which he gives them when they pray Savior, if of Zion City I through grace a member am Let the world deride or pity I will glory in thy name Fading is the worldling's pleasure All his boasted pomp and show Solid joys and lasting treasure None but Zion's children Thanks again for joining us. If you made it this far, then don't forget to subscribe or like or leave a comment. And you could always visit our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk to find out more about what we do. And don't forget to share this service with your friends. Your invitation might be just what they are waiting for. So, as we leave our time together, remember that God looks on in love. That we are treasured children, priceless in God's eyes. And let that knowledge lift you. So go with God's blessing. Creator, Source and Spirit, today and every day. Amen.